Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket. I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to talk to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A record or a book or a film or a TV show they return to again and again because they know it'll never let them down. Not guilty pleasures, but a thing that's just so genuinely good that it makes you feel that anything is possible and the world is a brilliant place. This time I'm going to be talking to the actor and writer Rufus Jones. Probably best known for things like W1A and Holy Flying Circus, Stan and Ollie lots of Julia Davis's things, uh, and also his brilliant refugee sitcom Home that was on Channel 4. Uh, it's on all four. Watch it. It's brilliant. Really good. Uh, Rufus is lovely, and he's chosen for his comforting choice um, the film Raiders of the Lost Ark. Good God. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh... Now, what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. So you're going to bring on Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm so excited, Joel. It's so good, isn't it? This is genuinely very thrilling. And I was just saying to you before we turn the mics on, I am so intimidated by a film that is really just there for fun. Yeah, um, it really is only there to entertain you. That to talk about it is a, it's it's a, it's a weirdly intimidating exercise because if you go too deep into it, it just feels I don't know. There's there's a worry of reading too much into something that is supposed to be just pure delight and candy. For yeah. Us. However, there is stuff going on there at a technical level, which is some of the best stuff that has ever been done in a popular movie. I, it's my way of saying I'm going to be very pretentious for the next 50 I years. can't wait. This is going to be great. I think this is the point. You should take this stuff seriously because it works for a reason. I think that the, the giveaway with Raiders is that it's a very influential movie. It's one of those things you go, hey, this appears to be quite simple. But even when Spielberg tries to do it again, it's 5% not as good. If this was a formula, then the Tomb Raider movie would be equally as good as this. Mm. The Mummy would be as good as this. If I saw Ar- Jungle Cruise recently. Yeah, with, which is uh, a pretty Johnson. good pretty It's good fine. It's a good stab. But you can see it reaching, almost in its kind of imitation of scenes. But it ain't, it ain't that. It, ain't, it should it ain't be. Uh, well, it's one of the great movies. It should be a cynical thing. It should, yeah. be, uh, uh, it should be by numbers. It should be uh, a collage. And weirdly, there's something magic about it that it gets right, that everyone else gets wrong. Yeah, man. It's such a good film. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. I never doubted that. 
Something made it inevitable. So what are you doing here in Nepal? I need one of the pieces your father collected. I learned to hate you in the last 10 years. And it's definitely one of those films that if it comes on, if you're scanning down the EPG and it's usually on ITV4 or Film 4, if it's on, you go, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. No matter where it is. I can't think of a film, even the Star Wars films, which I think to people of our age are sort of the closest in identity to, to the Indiana yeah. Jones movies. I can't think of any other film that has more uh, kind of tentpole scenes, yeah. kind of more iconic scenes packed into it. And that sort of means that if you join the film at any stage, you know exactly where you are in the story, unlike most other films. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you can enter after the, uh, the Peruvian temple scene and be in the university scenes, but know exactly where you're about to go to. Yeah. And how, how far into the, the film you are. So it's brilliant. Someone said this, I, can't, I wish I could remember who said this, but someone said, it opens with the, they're in, a, uh, they're in the Peruvian jungle, the, the traps. Yeah. And he sets a trap. And suddenly all the traps go off like mousetrap, like a Tom and Jerry movie. Mm -hmm. And someone said, the thing that you forget as a viewer is you think the traps have stopped when he goes back to the university. But the point is, it's so well assembled that those traps don't stop until the end. That's so true. It is just dominoes falling. And that is, I think, why it's a script writing masterclass. Yeah. Is that there there seems to be, even though it is nonsense from end to end, Mm. it's inevitable nonsense. No time to argue. Throw me the idol. I throw you the whip. Give me the whip! Adios, senor. It's funny because the Peruvian temple scene is nearly 15 minutes long. Yeah. And it's basically its own two-reeler to the main event. Yeah. So it's like the support act, which is exactly, you know, the tradition from which Raiders was 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 kind of culled. But um, I, what, what I'd forgotten was how the rolling ball, you know, the iconic rolling ball. Actually, when I watch Raiders... Um, it's it's not a huge moment for me, the rolling ball, because no. it's so part of the culture it's, now. But also, it seconds. lasts about five seconds. And also, when Norman Reynolds built that ball, it was a production designer, he built that ball, and it, and it came down, and Spielberg thought, the ball's going to suck. It's going to yeah. look terrible. Yeah. And he did it, and it looked brilliant. And Spielberg said, give me 50 feet more of ball. Build a longer <laughs> corridor. It's still only on screen for about 24 it's frames, nothing. 36 frames. It's nothing. It's all those iconic bits. But the, the plot is the ball. And going yeah. back to your point, it feels like the, the reason the ball is so iconic is that the film itself kind of carries on the yeah. momentum that the ball starts. When you read how it was made, there's a lovely story conference. You can visit a transcription yeah. of the story conference, which yeah. is Spielberg and Lucas. Kasdan. And Kasdan yeah. sitting down to do it. And it's got a lovely dynamic to it because you can hear there's a sort of childlike thing to George Lucas where he goes, it could be amazing. The guy could be 14 foot tall and blue and he's got horns and a hat. And Spielberg goes, I like the hat. And, they, and then Kasdan writes down hat. And yeah. that's, that's the writing process. But all it is is they think of exciting scenes and they set Lawrence Kasdan, their, their pet writer, to make the scenes make sense oh, and put great. them in order. And I think that's what you're watching. You're watching something which has got the logic of a domino topple. Last time I watched, I, I watched it for Lucas because so much of what we associate with Raiders of the Lost Ark is, is Spielberg yeah. because he directed the thing. But the, the, the big Lucas moment that I spotted or possibly sort of imposed on it is, um, is Karen Allen, is Marion's character with the, uh, the headpiece to the staff of Ra. Yeah. She's basically R2-D2. She's the person <laughs> you've got to carry along on the journey because she's got a secret. The plan. She's got the plans. And that's and amazing. I'm sure he unconsciously thought, you know what, that that works really well. Yeah. Um, to have a to have a reluctant sidekick who's got uh, the map. Who's got the map, and you can't do it without it. Stroke her. Everybody's sorry for something. 
It's a worthless bronze medallion, Mary, and you're gonna give it to me? Maybe. I don't know where it is. Well, maybe you could find it. Three thousand bucks. Well, that will get me back. But not in style. One of the things I think is lovely about this film is when you watch it as a kid, what it's got in common with Star Wars is it feels like you're breathlessly being told a story by a child. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. That's the domino chopper. And what it is, is when you read that story conference, those guys sat around and said, what are our favourite temple scenes? What are our favourite ten things that happened in these kind of things? And it's got the breathlessness of a child saying all the best bits. And what they've done is they've taken a 1940s story, which they barely remember from their childhood and only told you the best bits yeah and they've taken out all the boring stuff and it's edited to within an inch of its life but the original cut's three hours long yeah and they got it down to under two hours so all the fat's been taken out and so it's just like when you're a kid it's interesting you sort of said about the opening act being 12 minutes long mm. that's how a bond film starts you start with the 10 minute that's the end true. of the last mission yeah. and it's the end of the last mission and it's got basically compared to the bond film that came out that year no flab Mm. And Bond is still in a 1960s mode of just mm. going, well, occasionally you need to see him walk into a casino. Yeah. None of that. Yeah, it yeah. just is constant action. I love that about it. So the thing, the, 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 the thing I noticed on, on this watch that I'd never seen before was how much Spielberg invests in his supporting actors, yeah. the character actors. And we all know sort of at the top, you don't see Indy's face for a good like two yeah. and a half minutes. And there's the great sort of out of the shadows yeah. reveal. But before that, you see Alf Molina. Yeah. You see these brilliant sort of faces of the, I'm going to call them Peruvian Sherpas. Why not? <laughs> um, and and they're, they're, so many of these faces are well chosen. I've forgotten the name of the casting director, a guy called Mike Fenton. Yeah, Mike Fenton is a casting director who did Chinatown. Godfather, American Graffiti, wow. Young Frankenstein, Cuckoo's Nest, and Blade Runner. So this is a guy who just deals in ensemble. He deals Populates in, a screen. Yeah, worlds. Worlds of strange-looking people. And I can't think of any film that is better cast than Raiders. They're trying to get these faces they remember from those kind of movies. Right. And there's a great thing we talked about Ronald Lacey, who's the most unlikely person to play the baddie in it. Yeah. By all accounts, a lovely, lovely guy. Yes. Uh, and he'd given up acting by that point and was being an agent. And he was pulled back to do this job. And they cast him because they reminded him of Peter Laurie. Oh, yeah. And it's all those kind of casting. But it's all based on memory. You get mm. the feeling that no one sat down and watched Treasure of the Sierra Madre yeah. and the Charlton Heston movies that it's based on. They just went... Cartoon characters, big round faces, thin faces. Yes, it's like exactly, cartooning. Exactly. And I didn't. The French apparently call uh, Indy le Tintin Americain, huh. the American Tintin, and it's like a Tintin thing. It's like yeah. a comic strip. Yes. It's filtered through the memories of what it felt like to be a kid watching these films and going, I can follow this because these guys have got great faces. Yes, and it's, it's pre-verbal. And, and also, there's, it's a certain kind of class of actor. Um, People like John Reese davis and, and Lacey, who have been around theatre for yeah. years and years. And even someone like Alf Molina, it's his first fucking job, yeah. can you imagine? And, but all of them are given licence to have a, it's hard to explain, a sort of physical disposition that's so idiosyncratic to their character. Because it's got to a stage yeah. now, when I watch Raiders, 
I don't watch it for the big explosions. You watch it for the physical quirks that each supporting actor. You're thinking of setting up. You're thinking of Alfred Molina's fingers. Yes, Alfred Molina's fingers. <laughs> when when Indy's lifting the article. Dickie Davis eyes. <laughs> Alfred Molina's fingers. <laughs> A delicious plate of Alfred yes. Molina's fingers. So, so for, the, for those of us who don't know, Alfred Molina is his uh, assistant Satipo. Satipo in in the original uh, the initial cave who ends up being spiked. But yes, there's a moment where Melina, where Indy is about to grab the, the, the golden idol and Melina can't stop himself from just rubbing his fingers going, oh, oh he's almost got this. It shouldn't work. It's way too much. It's weirdly, it's, I've noticed it's an echo of the kid with, um, in Jaws, steepling his fingers. Yeah. When Brody steeples his fingers. Spielberg's really good at people watching other people. And you open up and you're, before, so in, before Indy turns up, you're watching Alfred Molina's eyes watch him. So immediately you go, oh, I'm going with Alfred Molina on an adventure. So I'm going to watch this guy. And you're queued in all the time with Spielberg. He'll show you someone's face who is the audience's proxy, yeah. which is what Sam Neill's glasses are in, in, so in Jurassic Park. Yes. They'll take up and someone, Play the revelation on, on the Someone will go, the, wow, or a light will light yeah. their face up. And you see it in uh, Dreyfus in Close Encounters. The reaction to the thing you're about to see is pre-done. And Alfred Molina takes you on the journey into the, into the, the temple mm. and he's watching this awesome hero. Yeah. And it gets to a point where he can't, he's so much invested in the hero that when Harrison Ford wiggles his fingers before picking up the idol, yeah. so does Alfred Molina. Yes. Like a kid watching his dad. Yeah. And it's just... And, and the other bit that I think, I think we all remember so iconically for no particular reason is when Indy is in front of the golden idol, that the curious choice to rub his chin yeah. in front of it, which says so much and feels, you know, if, if you do, if you do, chinny hmm acting <laughs> in, in TV let alone yeah, yeah, a film yeah. you're never going to work again but Ford makes it work as in it's not a sort of what am I going to do here it's okay this is interesting <laughs> how what, am I not going to kill us all what it is is you're watching this just occurred to me this, you're watching him think yeah and the deal with this is that's the first time you go I'm making this up as I go yeah. the story of this guy is he's not Jason Bourne he's not four steps ahead he is reacting to the things and he gets there and he goes maybe I've misjudged how heavy this idol is so you watch him think everyone's acting in a heightened way Spielberg said something lovely in an interview he said in the first few minutes of this film I've got to convince you that it's not bullshit basically he said Mm. said, and if you buy this it's fun but it's not bullshit and he said I'm not making something gritty Uh, it's sort of realistic but it's not realistic it's a fantasy but I've got to let you in and that kind of thing where you go oh we're going to watch 30s pantomime where silent movie acting says I'm in now. Yeah. I'm going to watch a cartoon. And those physicalizations just burn into your retina, sort of in your, your memory. Yeah. Even Ronald Lacey, when he first comes in, and his teeth are chattering. Yeah. And you know that was in the script. Yeah. And there were probably 10 other actors who massively overplayed that hand. <laughs> Overchattered. But he, Ronald Lacey, ma- he manages to teeth chatter with a sort of terrifying conviction. And you think, God, this is good. And all the close ups involve hands or they involve some sort of face pulling, uh, but of such of such poise and such kind of original choice that you don't forget it. Good evening, Fräulein. The bar is closed. We are, we are not thirsty. What do you want? The same thing your friend Dr. Jones wanted. Surely he told you there would be other interested parties. Must have slipped his mind. The man is nefarious. The reason Spielberg made this is he was he just come off 1941, which hadn't gone well. Yeah. He's raising the money for E.T. 
and he can't get the money in place. So he's got a gap in his schedule. And he says, and he makes this to make something as fast as possible, as cheaply as possible, that will work. And basically, he and Lucas come up with this idea, and he wanted to make a Bond movie, and they wouldn't give him a Bond. Lucas said they tried to raise the money for it, and no one could believe they would do it as cheaply as they promised. It was 20 million. They said, we need 20 million to make this, and we're going to make it as fast as possible, as cheaply as possible. Tiny shooting schedule. It's a 74 days or something to make. Compared to Close Encounters or, or, or Jaws or anything, it's tiny. But he goes off to make it really fast. And because of that, there's a lot of improvisation. People are thinking fast. So weirdly, I'm making this up as I go. Indy's line. So Spielberg, so it's Harrison Ford. It's Whenever you the see behind-the-scenes footage, they're all going, what if I do this? What if I do this? And yeah. he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. And even though it's a storyboarded big blockbuster, it's made with the feel of, like, improvisational theatre. Everyone's just jazz. So when someone says, I'm going to chatter my teeth like this, he goes, yeah, great. Mm. And you can feel that. So the level of detail in it hasn't been overthought, but everyone's thinking intelligently and reacting really fast. They've, they've given it a go, and yeah. he's chosen that take <laughs> yes. more, more, more than anything. I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there were probably 10 takes where, uh, you know, <laughs> Ronald Lacey didn't chatter his teeth, because he probably thought, that was a bit much, probably won't do that again. And yet that's the one that kind of makes it well, in. Well, actually, he talks about this and says that the thing he wasn't going to do was do 10 takes. Everything's done quite fast because uh-huh. he wanted to get in and out. But that energy is there. I made a note. I was watching the the flying wing, one of my favourite action scenes of all time. And I watched that and went, it's like Tom and Jerry. Everything is absolutely paced. Every single thing is motivated. Yeah. Everything that happens leads to the next thing. And you're watching it like a roadrunner cutting. It's so energetic. And I watched the making of it. He said, oh, I made that up on the day. Wow. And you go, no, that looks like you've thought about this you've forever. You've storyboarded that for a month. <laughs> hey, dinner. Come here. So it's all improvisation. He's sort of throwing people in and it's all because everyone's at the top of their game, but he's trusting everybody. Mm. And I think that's what you're feeling when you're watching it and you're seeing the performances is that this is a set, they cast all the right people in it. I said the casting director's done a great job. And they've cast the most intelligent people. Yeah. No one in this is giving a dumb performance. And I can't I can't think of a film where the foley, the, which is basically <laughs> the sound effects, yeah. is so to the fore. Like the, the the sound in Raiders that I'd never noticed before, but suddenly just kind of brought me back to being age seven again, was the moment where uh, the 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 balls just uh, sort of thrown Indy out of the uh, out of the um, yeah. temple. He's on the floor. Belloc is there with the Hovitos, <laughs> and that one fella with his bow just draws a little bit, just as it looks as if he's about to go for yeah. his gun. And you just hear it. Yeah. of the of the tension of the wood and the string of the bow just yeah. being extended. And that is, it's such a brilliant sound because it occurs in total silence. And it, it's all the threat you need in that moment. It's all done a by... A tiny bit of foliage. All the sound is, is, is Ben Burt who did Star Wars yeah. and they're all these iconic noises. And you can hear the propellers. Any yeah. propeller on a, on a Raiders... <laughs> yeah, it's an X-Wing fighter, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's, it's same thing. But 
it's all heightened. And the thing yeah. that, uh, that, again, makes it feel like comic books mm. is that these are sound effects that would go patwang. Yes. Yeah. There's, I was observing the, the, the Nepalese bar fight with Ronald Lacey and his, and his henchmen against yeah. Marion and, and Indy. There's no music on that. Again, watch it with, with a realistic head on going, they appear to be firing all the guns in the world. Yeah. Some of the guys appear to have <laughs> shotguns. Some have got howitzers. All it sound like probably, nuclear bombs. Yeah, I it's know. the loudest noise. And what those things are, are the film equivalent of Kapow! Yeah. It's Batman. Let her go. And what's thrilling about that is you're going, okay, I'm going to buy that. I will buy the pantomime of this. I will buy the the impossibility of it. Yeah. I tell you the other great thing about the drinking scene uh, is that when you first watch it, inevitably as a kid, you have no idea of the concept of drinking games. Yes. So what you're so what you're watching is this extraordinary thing where a woman is beating a, an enormous man at drinking. What an extraordinary thing for two human beings to do. It's How exciting. Who How wins? Thrilling. The one who's most full? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do they need the toilet and first? It's only, and it was only so when I watched it, recently I suddenly thought, oh God, yeah, it's a drinking game. But it takes you sort of 10, 15 years to catch up with that as a concept. Yeah. Because when you're a kid, it's just this extremely weird exotic moment. And you don't know what alcohol tastes like. So you don't even really have the concept of, is he drunk or is he sort of dead, the, the, the fat guy who falls over? It's got a child's understanding of grown-up stuff. So true. And I think one of the reasons that... I, I had a big theory about Star Wars being the most grown-up film you ever see when you're six. Yeah. Because they cut an arm off and everyone's taking it very seriously. Yeah. The next grown-up film you see, because there's proper blood in this, it looks like uh, uh, Where Eagles Dare. Yeah. The violence in this oh, is God. very, very, you, very, very you borrowed see from him that. being shot in the arm from two feet away. You know, it's, yeah, it's harsh. You watch it and you go, this is grown-up. Yeah. It's a kid's movie that definitely says, this is for your older cousins yeah, right. or bigger boys in the playground or totally bigger kids. Sweet. You can go back to the playground and boast about seeing it. Totally. When's the first time you heard about this film? I remember I have an image of uh, me going to my friend Ben Smith's seventh birthday. And we went to the, the cinema in Marble Arch, uh, which I think still remains absolutely huge. Yeah. And we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. the biggest Ark. screen in Europe for a while. it was. Before for IMAX. And they were showing Raiders. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, we're going to see Raiders again? <laughs> so I'd obviously watched it before. Probably my dad had taken me. Yeah. But that would have put me at like six or seven years old because I was in primary school then. Um, so... It, I think even before I was 10, it was absolute canon for me. And and it took a while for me to realise that this, obviously, that this film wasn't fun. It was more than that. And, and here's another wrinkle that I don't think I ever told you, but my um, I did history at GCSE. Mm. And my dissertation at GCSE history was Nazism and magic. Whoa! And it was entirely <laughs> based on my love of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And an interesting, an interesting little tributary story of that. Right? I, I, I got whatever few books were printed about uh, Hitler's obsession with uh, uh, the Zodiac and a thing called Weltheislehrer, where, where he basically believed the world was um, made of ice. <laughs> and well, we were living on the inside. And it was really amazing stuff and, and trips out to Tibet to you know, kind of uh, locate the, the roots of Arianism. And I wrote this thing, and uh, and you have to do a kind of viva, like an interview yeah. with the examiner, and I was chosen for the interview. The last moment, my teacher had changed the title, Hitler and Magic, to 
Nazism and anti-rationalism. And I didn't know where that was, but I thought, yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> it yeah. sounds posh. And I sat down with this guy from the examination board, and he said, right, Nazism and anti-rationalism. Um, you haven't written about the Holocaust, have you? <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. And he then proceeded to say how, well, if you're talking about anti-rationalism, there is nothing more anti-rational than that. And I was kind of going, yeah, but... I just wanted to talk about that's Rudolf in, Hess and, and Zodiac signs. That's not enrageous. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the things that's not enrageous. Yeah. There's one moment where, where Belloc says, uh, the Nazi Carla. says to him, Monsieur, I'm uncomfortable with the thought of this Jewish ritual. Which no, is a lovely line. as close as you come to the reality that, you know, we, we are all aware of and can source in many other films and books. Yeah. And but it hides it out of sight neatly to say the point of this is for this to be fun. Yeah. And the point is, we're going to deal with something. And I think Spielberg afterwards said he felt really bad that he'd used the Nazis as target practice in this. But I think that comes from... <laughs> Ron, the only director ever thought that. Yeah, but I think that comes from the fact that this is it's meant to bring back memories of fun cinema you've seen before. Yes. It is, it's, it's about that. It's not about the seriousness of Nazis and the Holocaust. It's not a GCSE no. text. Exactly. These guys are baddies. They're absolute baddies. And we've got a lovely little setup here that makes them magic baddies. Mm. Uh, it puts them more in the mode of the, the uh, Nazis in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yes. Or Stormtroopers <laughs> from Star Wars. Yes. As opposed to SS Stormtroopers. You know, yeah. kind of Nazi They're, Stormtroopers. It's in the... the world of fun and yeah. that's allowed it doesn't spoil the film that it avoids all that stuff yeah. it says to you at the beginning the deal is you're going to watch something preposterous yeah. based on something which is moderately real which is the Nazis were interested in this stuff yes. um, and then plays games with it yeah. um, this is also probably a good time to bring up my pet theory that Harrison Ford is the first and greatest Jewish action hero get back to Cairo get us some transport to England boat plane anything Meet me at Omar's. Be ready for me. I'm going after that truck. Oh. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Harrison Ford's mum is Jewish, therefore he is Jewish. Matrimonial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It comes down to the mother's life. You you initially never think of Harrison Ford as a uh, Jewish performer or a Jewish comedian, and yet he embodies a Jewish-American humour. Yeah. Like no one else in the action genre. If you think about 1981, this is just on the cusp of... You know, Schwarzenegger and, and yeah. Stallone ruling sort of action films for 15 yeah. years. And you have Harrison Ford, who, of course, is incredibly good looking. But he channels his inner klutz yeah. and his inner, uh, I think you used the phrase schlemiel, yeah. <laughs> like no one else. He is heroic, but he's not on steroids. No. And just when you see Indy getting cocky, something will happen like every vine that he tries to swing on or grab breaks in this yeah. film the, the, the he's mirror, Wiley Coyote he's yeah he's, the he mirror can't... smacking him that, yeah. that Marion sort of gets and, and he's such a funny physical performer Ford but then also his demeanour because let's face it in his later years he's turned into Walter Matthau and, um, yeah, yeah. and I am there every step of the way for that <laughs> But uh, but even back then, when we remember handsome, handsome Harrison Ford, he still has a lugubriousness. Yeah. And he is an indie when he first enters the temple. He is so unimpressed. There is just a touch of the 60s Florida housewife about him yeah. wandering in and kind of going, you know, these curtains, not for me. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> there's a, he's f- the first line, the first little exchange, I, yeah. the line I'd forgotten, and it's brilliant. Yeah. And it's Alfred Molina says, It was Harry. There is nothing to fear here. That's what scares me. 
Yeah. And you go, oh, that's a great, that's great uh, sharp dialogue backwards and forwards. Yeah. But it tells you everything about yeah. him. It's a great introductory line. It says, I'm worried because you're not worried enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the only thing is, I'm going to worry. Yeah. And that makes him a shlemiel. You know how careful I am, bro. Yeah. <laughs> He's a nervous man. He enters it not brave, but anxious. Just a touch of Larry David miserabilism. Yeah. You know, you know what's going to go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nazis, I hate these guys. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? It's not the years. It's the mileage. You know how to fly, don't you? No. Do you? Oh, no. How hard can it be? Nazis. I hate these guys. I didn't know you could fly a plane. Why, yes! Plan? No! I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. The iconic, it ain't the years, honey, it's the mileage. That's a Rodney Dangerfield line. I think virtually. do them all in the voice of Jackie Mason. And yeah, exactly. Works. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> it ain't the years, honey, it's the mileage. Exactly. That It occurred to me, he is looking at the greatest archaeological find in history. And all he can think about is the one negative. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they did it for me. I don't like snakes. Yeah. They got snakes in for me. Yeah, and yeah. all of it has got a lot. This happens to me again. again. Again with the snakes. The thing to look at with that, and I think I, I started noticing this on this reviewing more than the million before was I thought Spielberg said I want to make a bond and Eon and the Broccoli said you can't do a bond mm. and he goes to Lucas and Lucas said I've got this idea on the shelf which I was going to do apart from Star Wars about an archaeologist who's a playboy hero and weirdly the thing that is taken out of this that I think really helps it that there's a hint of in Temple of Doom but there isn't is they take the playboy thing out yeah He's, what's interesting to yeah. look at in, in what they've created out of a thing that was meant to be their bond is what's not Bond. Yeah. And the thing is, he's not slick. Yeah. He's not prepared. Yeah. He's not ready. And when the girl has love you on her eye- eyelids, he doesn't know what to do with that. And there's no follow-up scene yeah. with her, you know, sort of in bed with him, which is what would happen. It's in incredibly wholesome. I think that's why it plays very, very well with young audiences, even though it's a sort of grown-up film. It's 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 sexy. Yeah. I mean, dynamite chemistry. But it's not. Uh, he's not a sexy playboy. And he's not confident. Yeah. He reckons he can probably pull it off. The action hero who's full of self-doubt yeah. And who everything goes wrong for. He's always getting clobbered. Yeah. Woody um, Allen on steroids. Yeah, that, just a, a little bit. It's incredibly appealing. And weirdly, you see that then become a default mode for action heroes. That is yes. what Daniel Craig's doing but it's mi- He's always being hurt. But and then in the late weird. 80s, it, it becomes... Well, it, be- it doesn't become misunderstood, but it becomes something different. It becomes wisecracking. Yeah. Without any of the doubt feeding yeah. the wisecrack that, that, uh, that Indiana Jones has. So it becomes Lethal Weapon or it becomes... Yeah. Um, you know, that genre of film. What's the difference between being Bugs Bunny and being Wile E. Coyote? Mm. And Indiana Jones is definitely falling down cliffs yeah. and bouncing off things yeah. all the way down. There's the great, the opening of uh, of Temple of Doom where they, they fall out of the plane and, and he's just going down in the, 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 the life raft. And he yeah. goes, that's a Chuck Jones cartoon. Totally, totally. The logic of this is constantly how much shit can happen to this one guy. Final thing on the Jewish humour thing, there's a very famous Jewish joke, which I will attempt where a, a mum's on a beach with her six-year-old son and the six-year-old son is playing in the, in the water and suddenly gets sucked out to sea and she says, oh, my Lord, my baby boy, oh, my God, Jehovah, if you return my boy to the beach, I will, I will pray for you every day. You are the greatest, you are omniscient, you are omnipotent. Please return my boy. And suddenly this tidal wave gently bearing her six-year-old son <laughs> deposits him back on the beach and she looks up at the heavens and says, he had a hat. <laughs> and that... 
as I think I texted the other day, sums up Indiana Jones to me. He had, he a, had hat. a hat. So he's just escaped certain doom with the, the descending door, but he's got to grab the hat at the last minute. And when he's running away from the Hivitos, he's keeping his hat on. They do it in uh, uh, Last Crusade. Yeah. Where he, he arrives without the hat after jumping off the tank and the hat rolls Spins back into in. <laughs> And it's that sort of sense of Indiana Jones sweats the small stuff in a way that no action hero ever has, almost before or since, yes. with, such, with such utter authenticity. And, and I, think, I think just to conclude that idea, that's the kind of, that is the Jewish humour that I see in Harrison Ford's performance there. And in Han Solo to some extent. There's a well. shrug. A going shrug. On. A kind of not this again, which yeah. is so appealing. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And also, there's a thing he's got in common, which again stops him being Bond. Which it can't occur to me mm. until this time around, is it cuts off the 12 minute brilliant temple sequence back to him being a university professor, and you go, oh, he's got a secret identity, yes. like a superhero, yes. like someone from the Jewish tradition of superhero comics. He's a Stan Lee character. Yeah. He's Spider Man. He's a he's a nebbish in college, and I suddenly thought. Bond hasn't got a secret identity. He's a spy. Yeah. Bond is always Bond. Yes. The great thing about about uh, about Indiana Jones is he's two guys. Yeah. And the thing that I think is really appealing about that is he's a hero, but he's also a guy in glasses, a college nerd. And you go, yeah, it's a Spielberg. He's a Lucas. He's a he's a guy you don't expect anything of. And it makes him a terrific hero in that he's not a Superman. He's got superpowers. He's incredibly brave and able to punch people out. But the number of times he lands a punch and the guy doesn't react. Yeah. That sound of a whatever it's Ben Burtt's thing of a baseball bat yeah. into a into, into a, a leather, leather jacket, jacket, I think, yeah, yeah, and it's exploding. Yeah. But Harrison Ford can deliver that punch, and the guy just stands there, yeah. and he is you mm. in a lovely way. You mm. go, oh. he's you on the best day of your life, yeah, and also but the that's worst still not day good enough. Also the worst <laughs> yeah, day of your life, yeah, yeah, because yeah. every single vine he grabs onto is falling out of the thing. The thing that's interesting about this as a film, which is meant to be a pastiche, yeah is how much it isn't. It's not yes, Bond. quite. It's not Bogart. It's not any of those things. It's found something that's completely itself. And also, it's not a pastiche of anything we were aware of when we no. fell in love with it. So you learn in your 20s that this is all based on, you know, kind of Doc Savage, kind of two realists. Treasure the Sarah Yeah, and you sort of think, well, I don't know. And maybe you go back and watch one of them and you go... 
Actually, they're not. They're not great. I think that's its genius. I think yeah. what it is, it's a pastiche that transcends what it's doing. Because totally. all it's about, and this is why I think that probably you and I are sitting here getting enthusiastic about it, it is based on someone's memory of how good something was, yes. not on what that thing was. So weirdly, as you grow older, yeah. you go, oh, I remember Raiders being brilliant. But because it's not the actual thing, it's a memory. It's almost like a, a cargo cult, almost like a, a ritual reenactment of how much fun those things were. Yeah. You watch it and you go, Oh, it's just the good bits. Yeah. There's no long scenes in a bar that take too long. It's everything's really fast. So true. That's that awful description in Trump and Me, uh, the book where Donald Trump's on a plane mm. trying to show a new DVD to the journalist who's writing the book and he fast forwards to the fights. That's what Raiders is. <laughs> it's the kind of movie that even Donald Trump would watch end yeah. to end because there's no, it never lets up because it's based on the memory of being excited. I wanted to say a little bit about the about the plot and the the sort of technique of the storytelling, yeah, which is actually a lot more sophisticated than I'd ever given it credit for, yeah. Because I I sort of thought maybe it was a bit like Mission Impossible, uh, and and the technique they, they they use now where they just have seven tentpole action scenes, yes. and you kind of fashion the story around them. But yeah. actually, what this has is a classic sort of prodigal son um, kind of hubristic story. So. What I what I'd forgotten, or what I'd never known, was that Indiana Jones is is deeply flawed at the beginning. He's a magpie. He likes shiny objects, yes. and he sells them like more than once. Denham Elliott says, uh, yes, "The museum will buy them as usual. No questions asked. Yes, they are nice." And so this is a side hustle for Indiana. Jones. He's a treasure hunter. He's a treasure, and he's a scavenger basically. Yeah. And he doesn't believe in hocus pocus mumbo jumbo like the power and lightning mm. of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. And and but by the end of it. He has to. Yes. And what it is is a, a hubristic moment where the hero who is an un, a non-believer and driven by ego and fortune and glory kid yeah. uh, has to bow before God uh, yeah. at the end. And, it's, uh, and they reset the storyline for the next two movies and it happens yeah. in, in Last Crusade. But the, but the most <laughs> Indiana Jones scene, I think, happened, or, or the, the moment that encapsulates that classical uh, hero narrative is in Last Crusade where he's reaching for the Holy Grail which has slipped into the crevasse yeah. and he's holding onto Connery's hand. I can get it down. I can almost touch it. And Connery just goes Indiana. And it takes that to snap him out of the lust for glory yeah. and back to kneel before God which is... The penitent man. Had the, yeah, only the penitent man will pass. And that is a incredibly attractive journey to take with a hero on the most primal basis for us even when you're eight years old Marion don't look at it shut your eyes Marion don't look at it no matter what happens what I loved about this structurally is it's a big MacGuffin chase yeah. It's named after the MacGuffin. Yeah. It's literally going, the Lost Ark is the thing they're after. So the film is called Chasing the Thing. Mm. And I'm always fascinated by it. Why do you punch the air yeah. at the end when he doesn't get it? When he fails? He doesn't get it. It gets taken away from him. Yeah. But you still punch the air. And I think it's good on a really simple level. Oh, this is really basic screenwriting. You should never be trying to get the MacGuffin. You mm. find this in a lot of modern movies that they forget that the MacGuffin is meant to be the distraction. Hitchcock always said the MacGuffin was the thing, the secret formula the heroes are after 
but it just keeps it doesn't matter where it is and the arc here despite being this great brilliant MacGuffin it doesn't matter who gets the arc no. uh, obviously it matters for plot but it doesn't really matter but the, the real treasure is Marion basically yeah. in the story and I found this out only today looking this up mm. the scene on the steps with Marion mm. was added at the suggestion of Marshall Lucas Philistines. that was added at the suggestion of Marshall Lucas because previously the last time you saw Marion was tied to a pole yeah. and she said this and he's already left her in the desert once yeah. as well. This story isn't finished until he gets her. Yeah. Because that's what he's after. Like, brilliant. That's why he earned it. And she has forgiven him to some extent. Because so he's a bigger man. Yeah, yeah. He's been on a journey. For her, you know she's brilliant. Yeah. And she's played brilliantly. By the end of it, you go, well, I want her to value him. Therefore, he's earned her respect. He's saved her. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 don't leave the damsel in distress on a fucking stick. It's pointless. So true. Yes, to have, to have created such a brilliant, strong female character and then just to have her. And then her, her love of him yeah. judges him. Well. She's learned to love him. They don't know what they've got there. Well, I know what I've got here. Come on. Buy a drink. The other thing that's really important, I think, is as the other driver that makes the story work and makes you cheer is what's the scene you remember as a kid and it's Paul Freeman exploding. Mm. And the deal is there's a brilliant plot line running from the beginning to the end where, I've said this before, it's one of my favourite observations about how you motivate a story, is that evil isn't particularly interesting, but unfairness is. Mm. Paul Freeman's a fucking cheat mm. and he steals things off India. And at the beginning, if you're a kid and you watch it and you go, I don't like him, he's a bully. And all you're waiting for is for him to explode. And yes. I think you, there are two things that need to happen. One, he needs to get the girl. And the other thing is he mm. needs to... That man who keeps cheating, there's nothing you can have that I can't take away. He needs to be taught a bloody good lesson. But then as an adult, <laughs> you realise that the, the indie's shadow that Belloc represents yeah. is actually really smartly delivered. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and they're so lucky to have Freeman who plays it with such beautiful, relaxed charm. And there's one line... Where, uh, where in the drinking uh, sort of scene after Indy thinks Marion has, has yeah. been... Uh, He's drowning his sorrows. And Belloc says, we have both, you and I, fallen from the pure of faith. Yeah. And that is going back to what I was saying about yes. we are both scavengers. Don't think I'm the bad guy here because you know that if we bury this watch in the sand for a thousand years, you know. Look at this. It's worthless. Ten dollars from a vendor in the street. But I take it and buried in the sand for a thousand years, it becomes priceless, like the ark. Men will kill for it. Men like you and me. The thing that that scene shows, which I think I hadn't, again, till this rewatch I hadn't noticed, it's not just tentpole action scenes. Mm. What's brilliant about this, and I think it's been hugely influential on the way you make these films, is because they're making them fast, and they want it to be as simple as possible to make, it's huge action scenes, yeah. and then one act plays. Yeah. And all the one uh, act plays yeah. are two-handers. It's Salah, an indie. It's uh, Belloc, an indie. Yes. It's Marion, an indie. Uh, it's it's, it's Brody, an indie. They have little one act plays so that tell you who they are. Yeah. And I, I watched it and went, God, this is a series of, of two-handers where mm. you just get your actors together and you've workshopped them. And, and you learn all about of them, them can can go toe-to-toe with Harrison Ford. Yeah. Or maybe more to the point, Harrison Ford can go toe-to-toe with them because these are some really good actors bringing bringing absolutely everything to They them. all get a scene. They get they a really scene do. each and it tells you about the characters. So basically you're learning loads as an audience about mm. them so that when they get to an action scene, you care about them because yeah. you know that Salah's got his family and this is his relationship with Indy. And then I watched one of the making ofs and uh, Spielberg's doing the bar, uh, the drinking scene with Marion. Yeah. And he said, oh, God, he said, it's so tempting to let this go long. And he said, I've got all these little one-act plays, yeah. but this film's got to be so fast yeah. that we get in and out of the one-act plays as quickly as possible, yeah. and then into the action. And you realise that it's a balance that... I remember watching 
Avengers Assemble, the Avengers movie. Yeah. At the end of it, I went, all that is a series of one-act plays. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's also an editing choice, probably, more than, yeah. almost more than a screenwriting choice. Where in the edit, they realise, you know what, everyone is so fucking good in this, that we the, the option here is to go slightly longer on these kind of yeah. two-man tableaus. Because because it both at, both performers maintain this. We're getting such. stuff from it, but my favourite one of the whole lot is uh, is Karen Allen and Freeman yeah. when she's putting the dress on, and yeah, the knife, and they're having the drinking competition, and that's one that I mean, I'm always dubious about saying this. That's the one they say was mainly improvised, yeah. And they had a script, and Karen Allen said, "I don't believe she put the dress on." She's got to be a damsel in distress for the scene coming up. And she said, "I don't believe my character would put huh. that dress on," and Spielberg said, "Have some fun with it." And she worked out the fruit knife, and they did it as a as a workshop. It feels piece. really free. It yeah, feels definitely. real. With the right connections, even in this part of the world, we are not entirely uncivilized. <laughs> Beautiful. I would very much like to see you in it. <laughs> a better one. Well, I always thought as a kid that was wine, and knowing more as a grown up now, I think that's eau de vie. My sister in law's French, and her family. If you live in a winemaking region, it's the stuff that comes off the top, like Pachine. Oh, wow. That comes off the top of the wine, because it's clear. And I've drunk that stuff, and it's absolutely ferocious. And it would make you giggly and everything. And it looks like it's a clear bottle, and I'm wondering whether it's meant to be Eau de Vida, the French bootleg hooch. (laughs) (laughs) What is this stuff, Renee? I grew up with this. (laughs) It's my family label. (laughs) <laughs> um, but all those details are lovely I wanted to say something about Harrison Ford as well because it struck me watching this that he's often really at home with British actors around yeah. the period I mean he spends loads of his career at Elstree let's yeah, face it yeah this is it, where he lives in Pinewood but I think he curls up under the stairs <laughs> that's where he, he sleeps <laughs> just next to the W1A set you know <laughs> but um, for someone who is such a leading man in yeah. such a classical Hollywood way he was he was relatively long in the tooth when fame came to him so yeah. he's 35 in star wars and so he is not of an 80s school yeah. his school is late 60s early 70s the yeah. new hollywood of like of dustin hoffman basically yeah. where you're allowed to be a, a leading man and be a putz and be a bit of a klutz yeah. and be quirky and even though his look suggests anything but he allows himself to explore the kind of deficiencies in his character. Yeah. Because that is what he found interesting when he was taking acting classes at the age of 19. Yeah. Whereas if you're sort of, you know, if you're Mel Gibson or... Actually, Gibson's a bad example because he was a sort of Australian theatre guy. But all those guys coming up sort of through the 80s were sort of imbued with the kind of post-blockbuster kind of Arnie archetype. Superheroes. Yeah. Whereas Ford comes from a school that is... Is much more kind of revolutionary, kind of late sixties. Yeah, he's basically he's a Gene Hackman style. Yeah, actor. one of his first films is The Conversation. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, the interesting thing, whenever they talked about doing more indies, I know, let's let's talk about it. when they talk about doing more Indiana Jones, is the thing is you go, well, it can't be there without him. It's unimaginable when you watch those uh, audition tapes that when Tim Matheson or Tom Selleck's doing it, and you go, but it's got to be Harrison Ford. But it's Harrison Ford. It's yeah. got to be him. And when you talk about sort of well, who'd take over and do it, you go, well, no one. It's been really hard for anyone to find. Uh, an actor who was heroic enough yeah. to do it, but also enough of a schlub. Ironically, River Phoenix probably came closer as as yeah. young indie. He he, yeah. got, he he actually kind of studied this Harrison Ford performance and delivers this incredible sort of impersonation, but also was able to kind of work a close up like 
you know, like few can. But it's the comedy as well of it. And he's everything he's doing, he knows is funny. Yeah. And he knows he's being funny. His judgment. Whenever you watch any of those outtakes where they're workshopping together, he's always going for A character and B jokes. Yeah. It should be funnier if I... T- There's the brilliant scene where she where Marion punches him in the bar. And there's some lovely footage of them working it out. And he goes, I've got to turn away wow. and turn back yeah, in for the punch. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not funny. Yeah. He knows that. And you, I think a lot of the people who have borrowed his kind of schlubby heroism in the Marvel films and things that are people who come from sitcom. And they understand how to physically yes. put themselves. Chris Pratt, I think, is pretty good at it. As being thought, a, a low-status yes. superhero. He's got And you go, that's sitcom training. That I, is I, I sort of think as well, the only, the only guy who ever really kind of got close to resurrecting that spirit in the 80s mm. was Bruce Willis with Die Hard. Yeah. Yes, where, very, where he's very kind of ordinary man, extraordinary circumstances, just about rising to the occasion. And he again has come from a comedy show. He's, yeah, he's, it, it's it's understanding that this is funny. I think, and because because Ford is so laconic, mm. you forget he must have the most astonishing sense of humour because all of his stuff is funny. And I think that without him, this film falls apart. Mm. It's unimaginable. Even with Tom Selleck, he's really funny. Mm. You couldn't imagine it working like this. No, no, I don't think so. I'll I'll I'll, um, I'll tell you a very quick story. I, years ago, I had I was lucky enough to have dinner with Paul Freeman with Belosh. Wow! And uh, Belosh and Belosh <laughs> with a curry with Mark Gatiss. <laughs> and it was and it was lovely. And we, we were sort of talking about theatre and stuff for about an hour, and then Mark leant in and said, "Now, Paul, I can't resist it any longer. Tell us everything about Raiders Lost Ark." <laughs> and he told one story where he said he went for the audition in LA. He'd been in something, some Agatha Christie or something, and. Uh, and he, was, he got this call, didn't know really who he was meeting. And he walked in for this thing called Raiders of the Lost Ark and been told nothing about it, there's no script. And he walked into the office and on the floor, were, he said, were basically two bearded men with baseball caps. <laughs> and it was George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And he said, and they had something in the, over their ears. I thought they were earmuffs. And he said, it turned out it was the first prototype Walkman wow. from Tokyo that had been sent to George Lucas, who was then sort of Mr. Tech. And Spielberg sees Freeman sort of in the doorway and he goes, oh, Paul, Paul, come over here, listen to this. And they they sit down and Paul puts on the earphones and they're listening to Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) And he said, we all lay on the floor like children, just listening to Stairway to Heaven for seven minutes or whatever, just looking at each other and giggling because the concept that you could be listening, that was coming out of this tiny box... And then at the end, uh, Spielberg said something very Spielberg, like, well, see you on set, you know. Whoa. And he said, "What? Th- that was the audition. And he said, years later, <laughs> looking back, we were all just in- sort of hypnotized by this box, by this ark oh. of the covenant and, uh, and, and all the riches coming out That's of it. That's your audition. And you think, wow, there you go. incredibly delicate balancing act between how stupid it is and how intelligent and brilliant it is because if it was a really big dumb movie i don't think it'd be regarded as well as it is now as in if it was just dumb fun mm. and it's, it's really funny when you read uh, critics talking about it. they go oh it's just dumb fun its job is just to entertain spielberg says its job is just to entertain you went but it's really well done it's it's a demonstration of complete cinematic skill and i, th- I think in terms of if someone said, what's the most successful film you've ever seen? You go, well, it's probably up there. The most, what does it intend to do? What does it do? It does it. How does it execute? It, yeah, just yeah, a, yeah. And that's because I think it's a demonstration of everyone at the top of their game in terms of technical skill. And that includes the direction, casting, extras, everything. And there's very few moments where you go, oh, I'd have done that differently or done that better. And I think mm-hmm. when you watch the outtakes and things, 
the things they did remove. Mm. There's a little scene where they come out of the Well of Souls and they push the, the big brick out. Yes, I've seen that. And there's a little guy who pops up and Indy goes face to face with him. It's lovely detail. Funny. But really it needs funny. to come out. You can't keep that in there. So the judgment and also says, says... the stakes are too high there. The, the, the film is suddenly just yeah. cranked up. You can't have a gag there. One of the things I noticed watching this time again was that everything happens once. If you were to say, what's a Raiders-y thing? Like, oh, raiding a tomb. So Tomb Raider's based on that, and the mummy's based on that. Yeah. Happens once. He raids one tomb. Yeah. When he goes through the Well of Souls uh, into the back where all the skeletons are with, with Baron, that's not a trapped tomb. Mm. Yeah, and he does it once. Now, if I wrote this film now, I'd probably say he starts with a tomb, then there's another tomb, there's another tomb. There's only one car chase. Is it? For, yeah, for something that, that became one of the biggest franchises of all time, it's very much its own film. Yeah. And it's a bit of a one-off. And the thing I'd never noticed, the, the, the iconic uh, Indiana Jones font... Yeah. is nowhere to be seen in Raiders of the Lost yes. Ark. That, the, the, the font of Raiders of the Lost Ark, when it pops up, is that sort of very austere classical font. Yeah, it's all serif to things. But they've got it on their hats. They designed it. It's right. Like, it's but it was, it was just never really used until yeah. kind of later. And, 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 <laughs> and it's so, so it, it's like this, this very self-contained film that isn't necessarily trying to produce something to be repeated. Yeah. But, but in doing so, creates something for all time, and which can be, you know, what? endlessly rolled out. When you first see it as a kid, it's a pastiche of a thing you haven't seen, which again makes it unable to be its own thing. I think when I saw Star Wars, I'd not seen Flash Gordon, so I'm not aware of it. It's not. Me- it's meant to be completely open and accessible to you, but it's meant to somehow pack down inside it all the joy yeah. of being a small child watching this this thing. And it, I think it comes from Spielberg's thing of saying, I wanted to play with James Bond. I wanted to be allowed to make one of those. It's a train set. Yeah. Can I make one of those? And they've said, well, there's no permission. We won't give you permission. He's gone, going to make it anyway. Yes. And it opens with that Paramount logo. Becoming the, the mountain. Peruvian mountain. So you go, yeah. oh, it's playful. Yeah. The other thing to remember is that his production company when he was small was called Play Mountain, mm. Spielberg. Mm. And it opens with Play Mountain. You go, oh, you're a kid. This is the film yes. that you would have made on an 8mm camera. Well, you're Richard Dreyfus playing with mud, building the... This is yeah. your drinking. You've been given a yeah. small amount of money, yeah. and what Lucas said was a TV crew. Maybe for the same reason as uh, Hitchcock made Psycho. Mm. We'll get a small, fast TV crew and make this as fast as possible using the guys in Elstree who've done Star Wars, they know what to do. Yeah. So it's playful. And I think what it captures is a feeling of being a child watching it. And I think that the reason Spielberg has so many characters who are watching things mm. in his. Uh, films, whether it's Sam Neill watching the dinosaurs or Alfred Molina watching Indy, is that's him. Yeah, he is watching amazing characters things. in awe. Yeah. The hero of all Spielberg films is the audience. Yes, because that's him as a kid yeah. watching movies on the on the on the floor with the TV on, and it's you watching this, and it's something in this film captures the joy of watching a film. Yeah. So when you get older, you go, I want to watch it again. Why? Because it's about how much fun watching a film is. Yeah. It's the closest wormhole back to childhood yeah. that I think I have available, basically. It's but certainly it's an art di- and culture. It's not a Disney movie. It's not a, it's not a children's film. No. It reminds me It reminds <laughs> me of laughing and loving this film and being scared as yes. well. Like, to, to, to six-year-old eyes, or seven-year-old eyes, that moment where uh, Indy right at the end, when all the wraiths are coming out of the ark, oh, and he says, don't look, Marion. That is the most terrifying thing because... You know, as a kid, all you're going to do is look. And the moment you look, they're on you. And so it's an it's, it's a enormous act of self-will. And 
the moment your lead says don't look, you know something really scary is going to yeah. happen. And because he's the hero, he's and the then you guy. are made to watch it. Indy doesn't. You're made to yeah. watch it. So there's a very much what you were going back and saying is you know it's very much of staying up after midnight. It's a naughty. Film. I was told about this. I missed this at the cinema when it came out. I was old enough to go and see it. But I missed it at the cinema. And my yeah. cousin said, "You've got to go and see this movie. You've got to go and see this movie because." And I said, "Why?" And he went, "Guy's head explodes." Yeah. So I dreamed about it. I was scared of it. Like all good playground stuff. When someone says, got to go see the Terminator, the guy comes out the fire and he's a robot. You go, oh, yeah. you fantasize about that for weeks before you go and see it. And I, went to, I finally went to go and see it. Uh, my cinema had closed down in my hometown and I went mm. to go and see it at the local theatre. They put up a screen mm. on the stage and showed it. Uh, and I was building up towards that bit and I knew at the end there would be something really scary because my cousin had told me. And I held my breath. I think I closed my eyes. Mm. And like I heard uh, Carrie Quinlan told me that she'd seen the film three times before she saw the, la- the ending. Because her brothers had told her that huh. she had to close her eyes too. Yeah. What's great about it is that from the opening bit where a skeleton or a spring comes out yeah. uh, in the tomb, you go to Ghost Train. Yeah. And part of the impulse is to, when you're running that Ghost Train, one of the thrills is you can't get off. Yes. And at the end of it, he says, close your eyes. This bit's going to be scarier than all the other scary bits. And there's been some hilariously scary bits. When Marion's going through the Well of Souls... Oh my god! The, 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 skull, the skull with the snake coming out. Who's shaking mouth? those skeletons? There's a noise on the soundtrack. You go, they're not alive. Why are they going? No, you just no. buy it because you're on a ghost train. You buy the improbability. And that of is it. still. I think that is still tapping into the, the the kind of existential fear of the exorcist that had sort of yeah. invaded Hollywood in the kind of early seventies. The idea that actually Friedkin had unleashed something genuinely evil. Yeah, Spielberg is using that sense of illicitness and don't we have open, opened something that cannot quite don't open the box that can yeah. that, yeah. that final scene is because I'm a huge Close Encounters fan at some point lots of lights going to pour out and everyone's yes. going to go gosh the whole rigging of it the Nazis are standing where Truffaut and the gang are standing yeah. this is Spielberg's favourite ending is that at the ending uh, all his films are about light mm. and the end of the film more light than you can deal with will pour yes. into the camera lens the end but it's also <laughs> Spielberg's idea that it, when in that final scene, technology fails. Yes, the fritzing. So, yeah, all, all, yeah, all the cameras fritz. Everyone's eyes are shut. Yes. The cameras are fritz, no one can watch. Going back to what you were saying about the childhood experience of watching Raiders, I think sort of summing up what, what is so interesting, especially watching it or remembering myself as a seven-year-old watching it, <laughs> is that the directors are having a, or the director and the producers are having such a childishly good time in creating it. And, you know, you were talking about Close Encounters and those moments where Dreyfus becomes like like his own son in the mania of creating the the canyon out of mud and stuff. (laughs) And he's just got this child childish zeal to create that feels like the childish the, the positive childishness with which Spielberg is yeah. is embarking on this kind of this enormous project uh, on which quite a, quite a lot is riding in terms of his career yeah. he has to prove he can bring a, a, a good film in under budget yeah. and on time and he does so with gusto here but, but he I finds think, his inner child doing it he doesn't I think it is the inner child he's I mean, not worried about it and, and in that he gets you know the, the outer children, us of the world, kind of absolutely kind of on his knee for the rest of his career because he's the ultimate storyteller for us. Did you think, as I did watching this as a kid, because I think this is an interesting thing, the childishness, which obviously lots of critics didn't like about this phase of blockbuster cinema, so it's infantile. What George Lucas is tapping into with both these movies is an infantile desire to make something they would have liked as a kid. 
which I think is noble and brilliant because I think it's pure. Mm. What would have made me excited as a kid? How excited do I remember being, going to the Saturday morning pictures, watching stuff on my on the TV at home when I was when I was left alone by my parents to watch Humphrey Bogart movies by mistake. When I watched this, I didn't want to be Indiana Jones. I wanted to be Steven Spielberg. Yeah, at the end of it, yes. I got. I went. I remember yeah. saving up my money and getting a Super 8 camera and making with little models my own versions of this, moving little puppets around. I remember finding the excitement being, oh, that looked like it was fun to make. Yeah. That looked like it was a fun place to be. And they showed those making ofs on Saturday morning bank holiday pictures. Yeah. And you watch them uh, flip over the truck or, or do a, a horse chase. Yeah, or Vic you Armstrong talking you through it. I remember watching it and thinking, that looked like fun to make. Mm. Because I think there's something in the fun that's transmitted straight to the audience is the glee of the filmmakers. Yeah. And I think, I think also, you know, f- for a while before Spielberg and, and Lucas and that kind of late 70s explosion of the blockbuster, cinema had become quite an adult enterprise. Yeah. You know, the, the new Hollywood of the late 60s was yeah. a very mature experience yeah. for 20, 30-something sort of Ivy Leaguers. And what Spielberg particularly did re- was return it to the province of children. Yeah. Be- and he shoots... Uh, I was about to say he takes an interest in children like a few other directors <laughs> since Roma Polanski. But, uh, but, uh, but, but Spielberg, Spielberg is able to harness childish wonder both in yeah. performers like Henry Thomas yeah. and in his audience. Yeah. And, and, he, and in doing so, he has, for the rest of his life, a captive audience of people who grow up with his movies. Do you want to just go, wow? Yeah. And I think that, 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 that and it takes a lot to make us go wow. Let's face it, because yeah. you know kids are kids are a tough audience, and they can yeah. smell bullshit if you're trying to sell them some third rate nineteen forties <laughs> knockoff. Yeah, you know, you show me out an Alan Quatermain kind of remake from the fifties, and you kind of go, ah, I'm not buying it. It's just not yeah. interesting. On paper, all you need to do is take uh, take King Solomon's mind and say, it to, right, right, say it to cynical seventies kids. That's really hard, yeah, totally. and you can only do that by genuinely understanding and harnessing that wow yourself. Yeah. yeah, It's exactly childishness meeting itself, <laughs> both from the audience's side and from the director's side, basically. Yeah. And you just have this childish experiment of, as you say, you're playing with Star Wars figures, and, and, but you're playing with them with utter economy at the top of your game. They don't care that you can see how it's done sometimes as well. I love mm. that. Only when it came out on HD did you notice the big shot of the warehouse at the end. You can see the, the brush painting. strokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when that comes up on a big screen, you can see that's a painting. And they're kind of going, we don't care. No. You're not meant to think this was real. You're meant to think this was fun. Yeah. And you watch it and they go, we'll show you everything. Yeah. You can see this. You can see that we're playing. Yeah. And it's all about play. And by that stage, the, the idea of that final scene, which to a, to, to, to a kid of like 15 or 10, yeah. or 5, blows your mind. The big warehouse. That it will be intentionally lost in inverted <laughs> It's such a the deep state conspiracy. <laughs> it's your first exposure to tinfoil yeah. hats sort yeah. of life. Yes. And so it's a shot of an idea rather than... It's a good map painting, but the great thing is they hold it for the whole credits. Yeah. And your eye wanders, and after a while you go, hang on, yeah. that's a painting. <laughs> and yeah. you go, the artist has got his signature in the top yeah. left. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. I can see the felt pen lines. Um, I didn't realise until I was much, much older that that's a, a shot that's echoed from Citizen Kane. Of course. That's yeah, Zanadu, it's all the crates, yeah, all yeah, the crates yeah, yeah. there. And you go, oh, brilliant. So it's cinematic literate, but weirdly it says two things. One, it says, 
wasn't this fun? Mm. Let's see. Yeah, I can see You're the hacking edge. the film away. Hacking the, the film away. Yeah. And also it says, do you know who spoiled this? The bloody grown-ups. Yeah. <laughs> the grown-ups took the toy and they hid it away. Yeah. Aren't grown-ups sucky? Yeah. And it's kind of, you're right. It's a, it's a big punch in the face to adult Hollywood going, do you know what's fun? This. Yeah. And I, maybe that's the message. It said, it's all right to not grow up. Yeah. David Lee Roth. It's at times like this. I like, I like, at times like this, I like to quote David Lee Roth. Oh, I and uh, he said that rock and roll is selling you back your youth. And Raiders is the closest film that <laughs> just is like a you know a sort of intravenous return to childhood yeah. for me, and I think for lots of people of our generation. That's that's partly due to I, I don't know kind of everything that was going on in the culture at the time. But there'd never been a film. I would argue, even including Star Wars, for me, yeah. there'd never been a, a film that dropped my jaw like <laughs> like Raiders did and made me feel utterly included. And it was something that treated me precisely eight years older than I was. <laughs> that's the magic. <laughs> it's for children, but tells them they're not children. Yeah, time to grow up, but not actually grow up Steven Spielberg has snuck into your room with a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark and said watch this under don't tell your mum the duvet yeah yeah. it's naughty yeah that's brilliant thank you so much for bringing that was a joy what a joy brilliant what about the other one Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. But don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. I don't know. Fly casual. Mm.